Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and I'm very glad you all are here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We teach that we are part of a heritage that dates back to at least the 4th century, teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. We're going to do our call to worship this morning responsively. And it's entitled, To Risk. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out for another is to risk exposing our true self. To place our ideas, our dreams, for the crowd is to risk loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To hope is to risk despair. To risk, to try is to risk failure. To live is to risk dying. Many people do wonder, since we have people in our congregation with roots and with practices in every major world religion, including secular humanism, neo-paganism, transcendentalism, um, some I haven't even heard of probably. What is it that holds us together? How can we worship together? One of the things that holds this congregation together is our mission statement, and we wrote it on the wall, and we say it every Sunday together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning begins with a story published in the Boston Globe several years ago entitled, The First One to Try. Japanese macaque monkeys relaxed yesterday in the hot springs in Jikakudani, Japan, which has, been, which has been hit by a record snowfall. Japanese macaques also known as snow monkeys, are the most northerly non-human primates in the world. It is said that in 1963, a female macaque ventured into the hot springs to retrieve some soybeans. Other macaques copied her, and eventually the entire troop was making regular visits to the springs to escape the cold. And now a reflection on that story by Jane Jeppa, a UU writer. Thanks to the first one to try, not just to swanky spawn-clined monkeys, but to human beings too. Someone out there ate that first preposterous artichoke. Some first person braved a trapeze. A top hat was modeled for the first time, and someone debuted the hula. Snorkeling, yodeling, and trusting a strapless bra had to be notable firsts at a given point in time. 
Someone, before anyone else thought to do it, looked at a clam and exclaimed, I'll eat that. Although I can imagine a yodeling, snorkeling, straplessly brassiered hula dancer wearing a top hat while flying on a trapeze, I don't mean to give credit to only one game soul who eagerly awaited a clam and artichoke snack. Not at all. I'm just trying to say that I'm glad we have so many little heroes around who instigate the wows and the ahs that we have come to enjoy. So hooray for the hot-tubbed monkeys. Hooray for all those who take the plunge. Hooray for everyone among us who makes our own days glad. Now's the time in our service when we become quiet together and breathe deeply so that we can follow our breath into that place deep inside where the stillness resides. We may be deeply familiar with the stillness or we may only visit it on Sunday mornings when we come to church. All the wisdom of the ages says that it is in this still place that we can speak to God as we understand God, listen to our inner wisdom, or just feel our life-giving breath coming in and out of our bodies. It is in this place that we seek to grow into compassionate, sturdy souls who can be good companions for those who are suffering and for those who are joyful, who can see clearly and decide wisely. Let us now enter into the silence together, mindful that tiny little child noises count as silence in this congregation. I like that story about the monkey who went into the hot tub first. And in the Boston Globe story, it just says, and the other monkeys copied her. But uh, there's a lot more to that story. I'm going to tell you what it is. The untold story is this. When that monkey... See, and I know the untold story because I don't know any Japanese uh, monkeys, but I know the monkeys in my life, and I can't see that they'd be that different. So, um, okay, so here's what happened. When she she followed the soybeans into the hot water that was steaming and bubbling, the other monkeys first were petrified for her, and they kept their fingers crossed, hoping that she wouldn't get boiled alive, or and kind of half hoping that she would because she did something so stupid. Um, and they were hoping she didn't just disappear into the steam forever. But then when they saw her, the steam cleared a little bit, and there she was just kind of lolling around, popping uh, soybeans into her mouth in the water. They did what most people in, this is the culture of my people, they, they ignored her politely because this was such a breach of etiquette. It was kind of a social... Gaff. 
And uh, some of them said, well, she's doing her thing. And uh, others said, she's just going through a phase. (laughs) And some said, you know, remember when she painted her living room lavender? She is kind of an artist. But when ignoring her didn't get her out of the water, back into the snow where she belonged, then they started making fun of her just gently to get her back to normal, just to instruct her about what she really should be. You know, come on, girl, get right. Get get back into the snow because, you know, you look ridiculous in there. Nobody's going to tell you, but I love you, so I'll tell you. And when gentle joshing didn't help, when she was in there for the third or fourth time, when she had her whole family in there, they're having a picnic, popping soybeans and drinking Lone Stars, everybody everybody started kind of grumbling. And um, somebody said, I don't know, but being in the hot water in the snow time when we're called snow monkeys, that's kind of unpatriotic. Another guy said, that's nothing but sissy behavior. That's just sissies. Somebody said, I don't know, but I think maybe all that damp heat is going to um, really make the baby sick. Others said, it's not going to make them sick. It's going to make them grow up aggressive. They're going to grow up aggressive if they're in that hot water. And another person said, I just think they're going to hell. (laughs) And after enough monkeys became regulars in the hot springs, finally all of them said, oh yeah, I I was just about to go in when she went in. Uh, You know, my going in now has got nothing to do with her doing it first. I was going to, I've been doing it all. I mean, I've been thinking about doing it the whole time. That's how monkeys are. And that's how things happen when the first one to try does something. I'm sure it happened with the first person who ate an artichoke where they were like, well, that didn't kill my my goat. It's probably not going to kill me and I'm hungry. Trying something new always takes courage, but it's not always a choice. You know, sometimes you're just so hungry or so thirsty or so discontented that you have to try something new. And it's something that almost all of us have experienced. Like what we used to do doesn't work anymore. Um... It's as if suddenly our, our shoes have become too tight and we go, ah, I have to get out of these shoes. I can't stand this anymore. I've got to get different footwear or go barefoot or I've got to do something different. And, and sometimes when that happens, it's really scary. You don't know what's next, but you know things are changing. So um, I wrote a song about that feeling and I'm going to play it for you. It's called Chrysalis. I got to tell you something important you need to know. You're gonna be fine. They said the walls were there for protection. That used to be true. It's time to break through and 
butterfly, you can try your bright wings. Let your colors fly. A chrysalis really is a fine thing till it's time to take the sky. It feels like it's all falling apart, but what's happening is unfurling. Where will you migrate? How will you get there when it's time to go? your colors fly. A chrysalis really is a fine thing till it's time to take the sky. I'm wishing you honey, wishing you sunlight, a little rain. Not too much pain. And in the end, your body may break, but your spirits do. Mm, to surprise you, butterfly, you can try your bright wings. Let your colors fly. A chrysalis really is a fine. It's time to take the sky, butterfly, fly, fly, butterfly, So I was wondering if maybe when you're in a cocoon, you're feeling like, ah, this is totally comfortable and safe and nobody can get to me and my phone's not ringing and I, I feel like I'm just listening to music in my own head. And, uh, and the song says, you know, you thought the walls were there for protection. And they are. Until they're not. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're, you're safe and you've got things figured out and your life is working and your bank account is steady and your tank is three quarters full of gas and your, and your yard is kind of crunchy but it's not going to die and, and everything's okay. And then sooner or later things start falling apart. They start unraveling and the food runs out or the music in your head gets repetitive or you start feeling like there's something else here and I'm, I'm thirsty for something else. I've got to have something. I don't even know what it is. And you, and you are longing for this thing that doesn't even have a name or maybe it does. And so the hunger gets so great that finally you start chewing your way out of the cocoon. 
And what the, what the caterpillar is hungry for is wings and honey and not chewing up people's tomato plants anymore. And it's that divine discontent that keeps your soul from starving to death. And divine discontent is such a beautiful poetic phrase. It's attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, who we know preferred to be called Waldo, and who we also know hated quotations. And so we think um, it's kind of ironic to quote Waldo, but um, he said divine discontent. And so I'm wondering if the butterflies get scared or if the caterpillars get scared when when they get this divine discontent and they start having to chew their way out of the chrysalis and they're thinking, everything's falling apart. I don't know what's happening. My life is crumbling all around me. My body doesn't feel the same. I'm, I'm in distress. Do you think it's complete delight for them to change into butterflies? I don't think so. I know how people feel about change. It's uncomfortable, and sometimes it's exhilarating, but mostly it's just scary. And I think that there's panic that's part of the process of transformation. So we want to transform our lives, but we also have to know that in transformation, there's panic. And it doesn't always feel fabulous. Sometimes you just don't know what's ahead. And all of us have had that feeling, I think, um, I know that for those of us who were not born into Unitarian Universalism, there's that moment of change where we leave the faith of our family behind or we know that it's changed so much it's not going to be recognizable by our Aunt uh, Chris or Uncle Norman and they're going to be pretty disapproving of the things we believe now or don't believe anymore. And as the great poet from New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen, said, everybody's got a hungry heart. You have a hungry heart, and sometimes you're hungry, so hungry for things that make sense, or you're hungry for authenticity, or you're hungry for beauty, or you're hungry for passion, or you're, you just get a hungry heart, and it guides you. And so many of us had a hunger that, in, that inspired us to reach out to Unitarian Universalism, give it a try. Even though all the monkeys in our family were nervous about us giving it a try. And they were like, oh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think that maybe you're going to disappear into the boiling water. Or maybe it's going to make you go to hell. And I'm just concerned. I'm just teasing you. You know, how's that all hippie church of yours? Because let's face it, it's easier to mock and trivialize anything. Just because it's easy to trivialize anything doesn't mean some things aren't actually trivial and some things are not trivial. And finding authenticity in your faith is not trivial, although it does scare people. Even us, I mean, it scares ourselves. We scare ourselves and then we scare our families. Um, But usually we stop being scared. And sometimes they do too. But somebody's got to take the plunge. And somebody's got to start speaking the truth as you understand it. And somebody's got to start saying, you know, God is not going to send anybody to hell because you can't be a loving God and send people to hell. does not go together. And if you try to make it go together, it twists your brain a little bit. 
So it just feels so true and so liberating to say, y'all, why would a loving God send any of the children to hell? Would you, if your child made a mistake, would you burn them? No, because if you do, you go to jail. And if our culture is moral enough, even our sin-filled, hell-bound culture is moral enough. (laughs) Sorry, I'm being my Uncle Henry for a minute. (laughs) To know that you shouldn't burn your children, why worship a God that we think would burn his children? So, anyway, so we proclaim and we say, uh, we're going to work for LGBTQ rights. And we were among the first to say, um, we are a church and we support marriage equality. And now you guys decided to be among the first to be a sanctuary church in the United States. I think there are 13 of us, maybe 20 by now. And you guys were the first one in Texas since the 1980s sanctuary movement. The first one to have someone living here in sanctuary, hoping that the government officials would not come take her from a holy place. And that was a risky decision. And the reason that you can be the first one to try something like you guys were, the reason is that you have a clear mission that guides your feet as you run the race. You guys have a clear mission. And when I was talking to the board about whether we were going to offer Sulma sanctuary, what the board eventually came up with was, hey, this is our mission. If we don't do this, what are we doing? If we didn't have a clear mission, that could not have happened. And this fall, we'll have congregational conversations about whether we might want to do it again. But most of you know that Sulma is not living here anymore. Why? Because on Tuesday, a bunch of y'all came down with her to San Antonio, and she met with the immigration office, and she got papers signed that gave her um, temporarily the ability to live free in the United States again. And so, yeah, so kudos to you. I think you should be very proud of yourselves, and I am very proud of you. And you know what happens when I'm proud? We get cake. (laughs) And I think that we could make this decision to be the first one to try sanctuary, not only because our mission was clear, but also because we are in a very good place. We're feeling confident. And it takes a confidence and a feeling of safety in order to take a big risk. If you're feeling unsafe, you're not going to be wanting to take a risk. And I think this congregation feels like it's in a pretty good place right now. Another thing that makes it easy to be the first one to try is that you know it's okay to make a mistake. You're not going to die. And this congregation, we can make a mistake. We are open to making a mistake. We understand that here's what happens when you make a mistake. You go, I made a mistake. Let's change course. Let's adjust. Let's say we're sorry. We made a mistake. Doesn't make us bad. Doesn't make us stupid. When you're the first one to try, you're doing it by the seat of your pants. Just that's how being the first one to try is. 
You're doing it without all the information. That's how being the first one to try is. You're doing it in a learn-as-you-go mode. Very uncomfortable for a firstborn, raised Presbyterian Virgo person. Learn as you go. What? Not know everything before I take the first step? What? But you guys taught me, and I appreciate that. Even if we make mistakes, and we will, it'll be okay. And this time, we had allies. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church came right up and said, we want to do this too. We want to do this with you. And Jim Rigby, their mister, came and stood right by us. And he was there in San Antonio on Tuesday. And his people are right by us. And they were ready to take Sulma in case we had to let her go to another place. They're ready and eager. Yeah. Even though some of us felt like that. And it's because of the other two ministers here, Chris and Maddie, who did all the work all summer while I was gone. Bye-bye. They did the work. And that all culminated. And Sulma did the work. And our coalition of Sulma's friends and allies did the work. It took a lot of people to make this happen. You all were central. And so I'm proud of this hunger for justice that made you dive in. And so I just want to say... You want authenticity? You want passion? You want justice? Come on in. The water's fine. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.